this series has been called The New Rules for Love, Sex, Dating, and Staying in Love. And we have talked about love. Um, we have talked a little bit about dating. We have talked about staying in love. So today, we're going to have the sex talk, okay? We're going to have the sex talk as adults um, that you uh, never really had with your parents growing up because do you remember how lame that was, the sex talk? Like everybody's like this looking at their shoes. Everybody's just hoping and praying it will be over as soon as possible. Um, hopefully that's not the case today, but... Um, Today, we're going to talk about another myth, because in this series, we've been talking about different myths related to love, sex, dating, and staying in love. The first week, Tim kicked off this series talking about 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, that beautiful passage, and he talked about the myth of finding the right person. The myth of finding the right person is just, if I find the right person, I won't need any patience, because they're never going to test me. They're the right person. I won't need to develop kindness because I'll never be tried in that area. They're the right person. So we talked about the myth of finding the right person, and we talked instead about focusing on being the right person. So that was week one. The second week, uh, we talked about <clears throat> the myth that porn doesn't hurt anybody. And we talked about every time that you entertain yourself with pictures of naked people, you're going to school, right? We're, you're, you're going to school, and in that school, we learn three things. We learn, one, a real body isn't good enough. Secondly, we learn one body isn't good enough. And third, we learn that your spouse's body is not good enough. And we talked about over time what porn does is it hurts me. It hurts you because it deadens your desire for real sex with a real person. So second week, we talked about the myth that porn doesn't hurt anybody, but it does. hurts me. Uh, third, last week, we talked about, Charlie did a great message last week just talking about this myth, really, of staying in love being the same as falling in love. And he walked us through stages in a relationship and stages of faith. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to hear that message, great message last week, and you can download that online. But today, I want to talk about another myth. In the next couple minutes, I want to try to just rip apart the myth that says sex. It's just physical. Sex. It's just physical. In other words, like, if nobody gets pregnant, nobody gets an STD, nobody gets hurt, do whatever you want. Have fun. Because it's just shallow, it's just superficial, it's just physical. And the truth is, and I think that you and I, that we know this kind of intuitively by experience and through living, that sex is not just physical. It's not just physical. And no matter where you are spiritually this morning, whether you believe in God or don't at all, this is a big deal. Because your sexuality and mine is connected to your per personhood and to your soul at such a deep level. And uh, some of you, just as a quick caveat before we dive into this myth, some of you grew up in church cultures and in high school you wore the t-shirt that says love waits. And you waited to have sex until you were married or until way later. Uh, can I just say, for some of you who grew up in that culture, 
you, um, you may have uh, idealized and romanticized sex, and you may have done so, so much so that when you finally did have sex, you were kind of disappointed. Like, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, and then all of a sudden, one day, it's supposed to be right, and you couldn't really, like, flip that switch, and you were disappointed, or you so romanticized sex that you thought every single sexual encounter ought to be this cathedral, this out-of-body, this transcendent experience. And then when you got in a real relationship and had sex, you realized, ugh, this is disappointing. Because sometimes sex is kind of like orange juice. It's just good for the body. Tim and I talked about this in our premarital class for like 10 years. Sometimes sex is like cotton candy. It's fun and playful. Sometimes sex is cathedral, like it's transcendent, it's out of body. But other times it's really hard work, more like a yoke. And so uh, for some of you who grew up in a culture, wait, 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 and then you were disappointed, I just want, or you thought it's always ought to be cathedral, and if it's not, something's wrong. I want to say no. That's, that's, not, that's not accurate. And um, so that, that's all true. But I do want to talk now for a minute about the myth that sex is just physical, that if nobody gets hurt, nobody gets pregnant, nobody gets an STD, it's all fine and good, have a great time. Um, here's the thing. Our culture tries to tell us that sex is just surface that you can be detached, in charge, it's just physical. But deep inside of us, I think we know this is not true. And just to bring this to the surface, I wanna ask a few kind of awkward, difficult questions. Um, question number one. Why is it when children are sexually abused and when they are an adult and they connect the dots and they begin to realize what happened to them, why is it so difficult so often to shake that off? Like if sex is just physical, then why can't we just say, oh yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, whatever, moving on. Why is it that very often that road of realization and acknowledgement and healing takes a long time? Why is it, if sex is just physical, why is it so difficult? Why can't we just shake it off and move on? Um, some people will say this. Some people will say, well, child sexual abuse is difficult because you were betrayed by an authority figure. That's what makes it difficult. You were betrayed by an authority figure. But here's why I don't buy that. Everybody's betrayed by an authority figure at some point in their life. If you are a parent, you will not keep all your promises to your children. As a pastor, I will let my own children down. Everyone is betrayed by an authority figure at some point. But if you have spent any time in the world of child sexual abuse, you know that, that this is much, much deeper than that. Second question, why is it that rape 
is so much more devastating than other crimes. Why is it that rape is so much more devastating than, say, getting robbed or beat up? Of course, all of them are traumatic. But why is it that a person will more often report other crimes, but that sometimes a man or a woman will feel like they have to carry the secret of rape throughout their entire life and can't tell anyone? See, if sex is just physical, then it's just like any other crime. Peggy Ornstein, in her book that she's recently written about girls and sex, um, reveals some staggering statistics. One is that it is estimated that only 20% of college campus rapes are reported. Now, with other crimes, you know, you report, you get out of the relationship, you move on. Uh, why is it different with rape? Because sex is not just physical. It is not just physical. It touches us and it is rooted to the deepest level of your being. And if you treat it as if it's just physical, you hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. Okay, last question. Why is it that often people's greatest regrets in life are sexual? Like, why is it as a pastor or as a friend, if you're a counselor, as a counselor, why is it that when somebody comes and says, I want to tell you something, I haven't told anybody this, I've been carrying this for a long time, why is it you almost can anticipate, probably going to be something sexual? I mean, people do not come and give that precursor, like, I want to tell you something, I've never told anyone before, I've been carrying this for a long time. Ten years ago, I was in a parking lot, and I bumped into somebody else's car, and I didn't leave a note. They don't say that, right? Why is it that these um, sexual secrets are often ones we carry with us? And the answer is because your sexuality and your sexual behavior is not just physical. And we live in a world that tries to say it is simple, it is surface, it is physical. We were just hooking up. It was a one-night stand. I don't even know her name. It was spring break. But in our hearts, in our guts, in our experience, at some point, eventually, we come crashing into this reality. It is not just physical and to treat it as such is to hurt yourself god created sexuality as an expression of this little word that we don't hear very much about in life but that word is intimacy intimacy is to know and to be known and at some point in creation, God said, I have this amazing idea. And I just imagine him saying to the angels, this is such a cool idea. And the angels are like, what? And God creates sex. 
And of course, he gives it to animals. He gives it to dogs and cats and mice and horses. But when he creates human beings in his own image, he takes sex and sexuality to a whole new level. It is not simply going to be about creating more humans. It's not simply going to be about procreation. God says, I am going to create something that they are going to experience with each other that's going to reflect what I want them to experience with me, intimacy. It's going to be the ultimate expression of intimacy. Fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. And it's going to be like nothing else. It's going to be fragile. It's going to be powerful. And I am going to give it to the human race as a gift. But here's the thing. It's fragile. And it's powerful. And it can be broken. It can. It can be broken. The Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth This city was full of temple prostitution. And he says to this little tiny ecclesia, this little group of Christ followers, this little church, these words. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, listen to this. This is 2,000 years ago. And it really just confirms what we just talked through with those questions. All other sins people commit are outside their bodies. But those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. Now this is unbelievable when you think about this being 2,000 years old because what Paul is saying is Sexual sin is in a category all its own. Sexual sin is like no other sin. And it's not because God hates it. It's not because God will judge you harshly or because he will send you to hell or because God won't like you or because you can't be forgiven. It's not because God will condemn you forever. Paul is saying sexual sin is like no other because of the depth to which It injures the offender. All other sins a person commits, they commit outside their body. But sexual sin is to sin against your own body, Paul says. It's not because God will condemn you forever. It is because it is in a category of its own. It is like no other sin. It injures the offender and very often the offended like nothing else. Here is what he's saying. When you sin sexually, you hurt yourself. And you don't just hurt yourself, you hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. You hurt yourself at a level to which, in many cases, you will carry it with you for a long time. This powerful, fragile thing that God has given us as a gift, it can be extraordinarily dynamic, extraordinarily bonding, but it also has the power to turn your life upside down. And Paul is just saying there is no category of sin like it. There is 
no other category where the ongoing consequences in a person's life can be as great. And he was saying this to a culture with tons of temple prostitution, a culture that did not know. And I feel like with all the different stories that I hear, sometimes we just don't know. Like whatever that sex talk was when you were looking down at your toes and just get, you know, move on, I don't want to have this. Or maybe you didn't have any conversation um, in your family about sex at all. Often I feel like we just don't know. Like in our culture, like your mama never sat you down and told you. That it is not just physical. And Paul goes on to say this, do you not know, because they didn't, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now that word unite, the Greek word, it would have shocked Paul's listeners in Corinth. The Corinthian readers would have heard that and they would have said, uh, unite? Unite? Like that means like glue, like super glue, or like all mixed up together, like scrambled eggs, like permanent. And they would have been like, um, I didn't unite. I was just having sex. When I went to the temple to have sex with a prostitute, I was not uniting with anybody. It was just a physical thing. It was just a one-time thing. I paid her a fee. We had a little religious ceremony. It was a private thing. And now I'm back. Nobody's uniting with anybody. And Paul's like, that's because you don't understand the nature of sex. Did you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And some of us, you know, you're like, one? Like, it was spring break. I did not even know his name. That's what all my friends were doing. It was a one-night stand. One? We weren't being one. It's just what all my girlfriends were doing. And Paul is like, see, here's the thing. You don't understand. It's not just physical. It is as deep and it is as soulish and it is as personal as anything imaginable. And God designed it to be that way. He designed the two to become one. He designed us for oneness. And when you and I continue to think of it as just physical, we hurt ourselves. And if you continue to have sex with person after person after person after person, do you know what actually happens over time? You damage your intimacy factor. You damage your ability to experience what God intended for you to experience. And you disconnect sex from what it was intended for. So Paul, in his message to the Corinthians, goes all the way back to Genesis, the first time in the Bible that sex is mentioned. And he quotes, he says, For it is said, the two will become one flesh. There's that word, intimacy. And then he says, do you not know? Again, they didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And now he's talking to followers of Christ. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And you could just hear them saying like, 
no, my body is my body. I do what I want with my body, and then I go to church, and I confess, and I repent, and then I leave, and I go do whatever I want with my body. And he's like, no. If you are a Christ follower, you are inhabited. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He says, who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Your body is not your body. If you're a Christ follower, all of you belongs to God because you've been bought, purchased, redeemed at a price. And so here's his conclusion. Here's his application. Honor God with your bodies. So that's the myth this morning. Sex, it's just physical. Paul would say, no, 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 no. And one other myth related to this I just want to expose is the myth in our culture that says this, practice makes perfect. Ever heard that? Practice makes perfect. Um, like, particularly for my single friends here, like, the more people you practice with, the better. And then someday when you settle down with one person, like, you'll both look at each other and be like, so glad you practice. Aren't you glad I practice? Wow, we're so good at this. It's not like playing the violin. You don't, you know. <laughs> Here's the truth nobody really wants to talk about in our culture. Romance and marriage are fueled by exclusivity, not practice. Romance and marriage are fueled by exclusivity. When you can look at each other and know, he's got eyes for only me. She's got eyes for only me. And when he goes on a business trip, I don't have to worry about what he's doing. And when she goes out with her friends and she doesn't respond right away to the call, I don't have to worry about what she's doing. What fuels romance, what fuels marriage is exclusivity. Not practice makes perfect. And uh, just to close, I want to do a quick activity with you. To do this activity, you are going to need two things, something to write on and something to write with. So if you can kind of look around in your pews, find a, a pen or a pencil, find a piece of paper. Um, you can hand them around. There's some on the edges of the pews if, if you want to pass them down the, the pews. Um, find a piece of paper, find a pen. And just to close, I want to do this quick little activity together. Okay, you got your paper? Something to write with? Okay, here's the activity. Um, one time my Uncle Bob, he came over to my parents' house, and um, he did this activity uh, with, with my folks. And um, the activity is this. First of all, I want you to draw a stick figure, but here are the rules. Use only these symbols, a line, an X and a circle, and you can use any combination of those three, you don't have to use all of them, but any combination of those three to make a total of 10 symbols. In other words, you could have like, you know, five lines, four X's and one circle, you could have eight circles, one X, one line, but draw a stick figure using 10 of those symbols, okay? Go. Do you have your stick figure? Okay, once you have your stick figure, would you count up how many lines you used, how many X's you used, 
and how many circles you used and just write that down. How many lines, how many X's, how many circles? Okay, you got it? So when my Uncle Bob came over and did this with my family, he had, you know, had them do this. And then he said this. The lines represent about you your brains. <laughs> the X's represent your beauty. And the circles represent sex. So this is a picture of you. Brains, beauty, sex. Lines, X's, circles. Okay, you guys want to know what my mom had drawn before he said that? My family never has let her live this down. This is like classic. And um, <laughs> I just have to say that uh, I love that funny story and the gift that my family gave to me in it. You know what the gift was? The gift was this. Men and women are created as sexual beings with sexual desire, and that's a good thing. That's a God thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. And sex is a gift, and it is fragile, and it can be broken. So guard it and cherish it and honor it. And as we close and just come to the communion table, as we do, it's just a weekly practice in worship here. I know there can be a lot of guilt, shame, feelings um, around this topic in church. And so I just want to leave you with this quote that brings me hope every time I read it. Dallas Willard said, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you for the gift of sex, sexuality. And Lord, you see our pain. You see our brokenness. And so we just bring that to you now. God, all of us, some of the time, some of us, most of the time, have heartfelt longings for kinds of intimacy and gratification sexually that don't reflect your best intentions for us. Whether that's just a desire for multiple partners or porn or whatever, whatever it may be, sexual restraint is needed for all of us to live in your invitation to flourishing. God, you are gracious and you are merciful. And your grace is not cheap. And your mercy never means that your standards don't really matter. So we confess, we repent, we want to live in your form of flourishing today. God, for those who need healing, would you bring healing? For those who need a new vision 
Would you do what you did in the Gospels where you just take that mud and put it on our eyes and wipe them clean that we might see again, that we might see the gift you've given us in sex? Would you bring sexual healing to our sexual brokenness in its various forms, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.